Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 776 with Selena Resvani. Selena had some excellent wisdom to share with regard to pushing back effectively, standing up for what you want. So you'll learn one, how to turn a vague no into something you can actually use. Two, the Lara framework for when you're faced with a no. And three, how to know when it's time to stop pushing. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to pieces that we mentioned here, please Drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP776. And while you're there, check out some of our goodies, such as every episode tagged by the topic and covered, the full text transcripts, the summary wisdom in the gold nuggets of the action points. So good stuff over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's some good stuff about Selena. Selena Resvani's mission is to help professionals stand up for themselves at work and advocate for their needs. She's the author of two leadership books, The Bestseller Pushback and The Next Generation of Women Leaders. Selena addresses thousands of professionals each year and has been featured in TEDx, Oprah.com, Inc., TodayShow.com, and NPR. Today, she's a columnist for NBC News, Know Your Value. Selena is based in Philadelphia, where she lives with her husband, Jeff, and nine-year-old boy-girl twins. Big thanks to Selena for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Selena. Selena, welcome to How to Be All Spit Your Job. Thank you so much, Pete. I love this podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm excited to get into your wisdom. And I also want to hear about your experience recently. You've become an enthusiast for weightlifting, as am I. What's your story here? Yes, I'm a runner and I dealt with some runner's knee that made it difficult to do that at the same rate I had been doing it. And so I was really bummed. And then the world of weightlifting opened up and created my own home pandemic gym. Oh, great. And it's been so cool and like really empowering, may I add. You may indeed. I feel the same way. What is it you love most about it? Well, I think it's the being able to watch yourself getting stronger and see some proof of that, you know, with bigger weights and bigger barbells and and dumbbells and stuff and doing things you didn't think you could. Totally. It's kind of nice to prove yourself wrong. How about you? You I feel the same way. And what I really like is I'm a believer in the notion of, of doing your best. But what's funny in my brain, I get all 
wrapped up in opportunity costs. Well, my best, uh, conceivably, I could spend 20 hours doing this thing to be my best. But but within the gym, it's just very clear. It's like, it would be impossible for me to do a single additional repetition at this weight. Yes. And that is my best. That is just indisputable. And then to watch that indisputable best go up and up and up, it's like, huh. I have incontrovertible evidence that I am stronger now than I was one week ago. And that feels good. Yes, that's right. In a world where there's not always a lot of concrete progress, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And it just just feels good, you know, in terms of uh, energy boost for the day and... Well, and it just comes in handy. And as you know, I'm 38 years old now. And um, in not too many years, muscle Mm -hmm. begins going away from me, which will be a sad day. But better to be ahead of the curve such that you're able to rock and roll when you're 90, hopefully. I think so. I think it keeps you young. I really do in a different way than other exercise. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, now I want to talk about some of the wisdom in your book, Pushback, How Smart Women Ask and Stand Up for What They Want. Now, our listeners are mostly women, but I am presuming, Selena, that these insights are, many of them, applicable to men as well. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is, actually. Perfect. And to introverted folks, no matter how they identify their gender, some of the the same characteristics actually come up with folks who might struggle to speak up and speak their mind. So Mm -hmm. I think very universal tactics here. All right. Well, could you kick us off with a particularly surprising discovery you've made as you were researching and putting this together? Yeah. I mean, one of them came from my professor actually nudging me and giving me the kick and the push I needed to be a better advocate. And when I was in business school, I had this exciting opportunity to lead some research, right? And choose what the topic of the research was and direct it. And you had to write a proposal. And I knew just what I wanted to do. I wanted to interview women about how they had negotiated their success. C-level women. Mm -hmm. There was only one problem, Pete, which is I didn't know a single one. Had zero Mm -hmm. connections to connections to them either, right? And my one female professor in my MBA program said, uh, Lindsay Thompson's her name. She said, Selena, I will approve your request to go interview women execs on one condition. She said, you have to go after the whales. All right. You have to go after the women you think won't even entertain an email from you, let alone an hour of their time. And thank goodness she did that because so many of those women said yes. And those interviews changed my life, how I see leadership, and I knew this could help other people. So it became a book, a business, a mission. Mm-hmm. Well, well, now even before we get into the particulars of, of the book, I want to know, what are your pro tips for getting powerful, busy, influential people to, to, say, yes, <laughs> to say yes to you and take the time? Yeah, that's such a good question I and mean, one I haven't thought about in a little while. I would say operate on a no surprise basis. Like this is a group that doesn't want to be surprised, right? They want to know why me, why this topic, and like why you, Selena, the interviewer in this case. And and so I think I needed to make that clear in my email pitch. It was Mm -hmm. an email pitch. It wasn't calling them on the phone or 
harassing, but just a really open out on the table. Here's why I think you'd be excellent. Here's why I think this topic really overlaps and aligns with what you're about. And here's where I'm coming from and what I hope to do with it. And so many of them either right away said yes, or those that had 57 questions tended not to. Hmm. And I think that's an interesting data point. It either hit and resonated (laughs) or just, mm, it didn't. Yeah, (laughs) that that makes sense in in, in terms of if a person has 57 follow-up questions, they're not completely uninterested or else they would just sort of say no or ignore you. Right. But they're not fired up. Right. In terms of, oh, yeah, I'm so in. This is inspiring. It's like, well, this might be worth my time. What's your projected uh, reach? You know. Exactly. And you have to remember at that level, individuals have a lot of handlers Mm -hmm. and people weighing in and communication departments, PR departments, vetting things like this. Sometimes other departments are involved as well. So sometimes my interviews had those individuals in the room with us Mm -hmm. as a kind of support to the executive or making sure they didn't say the wrong thing. So I think some of the questions may have been coming from the teams mm-hmm. surrounding these execs. Understood. All right. Well, so on to the meat of things. What's the big idea behind pushback? Well, the big idea is that there are some gender differences that are really important when it comes to negotiating for what we want and for what we need. Women tend to report more apprehension asking for what they need. And yet they are excellent advocates, very effective advocates for others, saying this person deserves recognition or this person really ought to be promoted and advanced in the organization. And one more data point that really screamed out at me, women are less likely to negotiate when conditions are ambiguous. And if that doesn't describe the workplace, I don't know what does. It it can be a very ambiguous place a lot of gray area. And uh, I wanted to do something about that. And so that really led me to seek out 20 C-level women executives to understand how did you negotiate success at work? And that the culmination of those interviews, those best tips, those hardest won lessons is really what pushback's all about. Okay, well, please lay it on us. What are some of the the highest impact tips in terms of There's a lot of ways we could frame this, but I'll say, if I could be choosy, those that take relatively little effort and provide a huge return on that effort and are relatively rarely practiced. Yeah. Well, there's one that stands out to me. Something lots of professionals have brought up is, I got a vague no. Mm-hmm. I mustered up the courage to pitch or propose or ask for something. And I got this vague dismissal of a no. And <laughs> one of the pieces of feedback I have for people is to really insist on objective criteria. Mm-hmm. That may require you to peel the onion back. But a quick example of this comes from one of the women I interviewed, Dee Dee Wilson, a CFO at Nike. And she said, I was told at one point in my career, Didi, you're just not CFO material. Mm. And she said, you know, not only was that crushing psychologically, but it's like the least actionable input. Oh, yeah. 
And I'm also thinking, you know, fixed mindset much? Come on now. Right, <laughs> right. This has been decided by, you yeah. know, the uh, heavens, it seems like. Right. And, and her advice was, first of all, she got to CFO. Mm-hmm. She got there. And her advice was insist on that objective criteria, a.k.a. a real reason. She said, in my case, I asked, is it my financial acumen? Is it my visibility in the organization? You know, is it my people management skills? What exactly do I need to improve to be eligible? And guess what? She got some of those answers and she project managed her way to that promotion, really taking her manager by the hand, not waiting for somebody else to like anoint her. And I thought it was really helpful advice when you're dealing with that ambiguous no. Yeah, boy, that really resonates. And there's there's so many different flavors of a vague no. Like, oh, you know, maybe next <laughs> quarter or so when we you have a little bit more budget. Yes. Okay. Like, <laughs> that's unclear timeline, unclear how much budget. Right. Yes. Or one of my favorites is also like, well, I'm supportive of you, Pete, getting the raise. It's just the backdrop right now or my higher ups may not be. Mm-hmm. This like a little bit breadcrumb support that's thrown to you. And yet it's not the same as someone giving you the green light or advocating for you. Yeah, absolutely. And so then in, in those situations is the, in that scenario, for example, is it to ask <laughs> very specifically, oh, do you know which higher ups and what are their concerns or how would you play that? Yeah, I would. And I'd, I'd even go so far as to ask something like, would you be comfortable with me talking directly with Ted or Susan, right? Maybe that's a skip level person, but sometimes the person is burdened who you're asking yeah. and it, you know, they are supportive of your ask, but it would be a relief for you to handle it directly with HR or with that skip level manager. So I would absolutely do that. I'd be persistent. Mm-hmm. I hear you telling me it's not a good time right now. I'm going to put time on our calendar four weeks from today. So please expect that invite mm-hmm. in your inbox. Unfortunately, you can't always operate from a place of trust. Like, mm-hmm. I'll trust you to take care of me. I'll trust you to remember. Right. And, and not distrust is in that they're, they're all snakes and liars, you know, out, out to get you, but rather that you can fall by the wayside in the cacophony of competing priorities that are out there. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe an even better frame is ownership. Right. To think about it as ownership, that that in a perfect world, you're co-owning your development and advancement with your boss or your organization. You and your organization co-own that. In this case, you you need to operate much like you fully own it. Mm-hmm. And that you're going to move the ball up the field. You're going to advance it. Because what's the old saying? Managers have short memories. Right. They have so much going on that we can't always assume they're thinking about our development and where we need to go next. Okay. Thank you. Well, if we zoom out a little bit, could you share just a few of the key principles that we should bear in mind when it comes to self-advocacy, any top do's and don'ts that make all the difference? Yeah. One of them that I really like that can be counterintuitive to folks is to bring options to the table. So if, for example, you're not feeling the love with your project assignments, you know, you're doing a lot of the same and you're not really growing When you go to that one-to-one to to talk to your manager, don't just bring one preferred outcome. 
Like, hey, I'd really like to come off Project Deja Vu, right? Maybe that's your first choice and you can bring that up. Uh, But in your back pocket, you want to have some other options that allow you to extend the conversation, right? And elongate the dialogue that's going to serve you. So in your back pocket, you might have a second option like, hey, next time Dan, a director I admire, has an opening on his team, I'd really like to be considered. Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe you have yet a third option. Hey, I'm very interested in getting exposure to XYZ client of ours. Is that something that we could look at together, me getting involved with that client? Why do I say this? Well, we all know some yeses are easier to grant than others, but we'll never know unless we ask. Mm -hmm. And we present some different options, right? Sometimes there's money in the professional development budget, not the salary budget right now. Yeah. And so you get to learn about some of that when you bring options to the table. And a lot of people shy away from it because they think it'll make them look entitled or like I'm asking for the world. But it's really not that way. If anything, it gives you maneuverability to say, I hear you telling me no, Pete, on uh, coming off Project Deja Vu. Would you consider? What do you think about? And that can be very powerful, right? It signals your self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And that you're interflexible, you're reasonable, yes. you're willing to work with them as opposed to just adamant, you know, my way or the highway, this is my right. This is my thing and I'm not backing down no matter what. Cool. And then if we think about sort of the emotional dimension of this, I think that's huge in terms of, oh, I'm scared, I don't want to look demanding or any number of undesirable things. Are there any sort of mindsets or mantras or ways you recommend folks deal with that internal mental game? Yes. And I struggled with this myself for so long. I grew up in a household where I was taught to defer to authorities, Mm -hmm. to authority figures, to take just enough. Don't be greedy. Be humble. Don't be too bold and brash in what you ask for. So there's a lot of undoing and maybe some of the people listening can relate to that. That can be stuff you bring with you as an adult into the workplace. And so one of the things I would encourage you to do is stoke a sense of belonging in that conversation. I tell myself as a mantra, I 400% belong Mm -hmm. in this job interview, in this uh, podcast conversation, in this negotiation, in this high stakes board meeting, right? Fill in the blank. but. Oftentimes when we tell ourselves, I don't belong, this foreign visitor coming to this place, I don't think I should be here, right? It creates all kinds of uncertainty. And oftentimes when we get resistance in a situation like that, we can kind of slink away at the first sign of no, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so it is so important to stoke that sense that I belong. In fact, I 400% belong. I dig it. And that's a good mantra. And I found in my own experience, I really do well when I, <laughs> I'm thinking about my entrepreneurial journey, like, like pricing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I should really ask for that big number. That just seems outrageous. But then once I really do the research, like, oh, okay, well, if I take a look at the cost per learning hour benchmarks associated with da, 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 it, well, well, shucks, like this is a bargain, <laughs> you know? And, and so like, I have some evidence that's like, it's not just my opinion, 
that this is a good deal or a worthwhile price. But in fact, relative to the alternative options, this is absolutely a smart investment that folks should be making. Right. Absolutely. And you are smartly kind of stopping to do research, right? And not looking for all the validation in your pitch or your proposal externally from other people, but you yourself are validating your own pitch. And and that Mm -hmm. matters. That makes us sit up a little straighter. It makes us speak with more conviction. When we're asking for something, it empowers us to go a few more rounds in the conversation. So I tell people like the power phase, the power phase is not when you're in the room, it's the getting ready. It's the research. It's the preparation like you did. Mm -hmm. I also want to get your take on particular words, phrases, magical sentences, scripts that just really come in handy in a lot of circumstances, whether it's any key questions. Yeah. what, What are some of your faves? Yeah. So one of them comes from Stanford and it's called Lara. I don't know if you've heard of it, L-A-R-A, but it's, it's a simple, doable thing. So let's say you're getting some resistance in one of these conversations. You've just made an amazing proposal, let's say, for a new role that doesn't exist, but could add lots of value. And someone's kind of, uh, I just, I don't know. I just, I, I don't think we could do that. The L stands for listen, right? So mm-hmm. listening. I'm hearing you say, you're not sure if we could do <laughs> Yeah. Well, and even maybe even quieter than that, in the sense that I have nine-year-old twins, and one of the things they teach them is whole body listening. Mm-hmm. Like really making somebody feel heard with your whole body, generously listening. Your torso, your eyes, everything is focused on that person. The next one, affirm. A is for affirm, you know, and that might be what you just said. It might be mirroring back what you heard, or it might be validating a concern. I hear you telling me this is really shockingly new and different. And I hear you on that, right? R is for respond. But I want to tell you that this role is actually not so new and different. In fact, it's a lot like a role that exists in the next division over that's been really successful, right? And then the A is for ask questions. So you might end something like that by saying, what would need to be true for you to get behind this role? Or what else would you like to know about that role I referenced over there, the best practice kind of role? What could I share with you? Or what would be helpful for you to know about that position? So I love that framework. I think it comes from a place of empathy and wanting to take others' perspectives. And that's what important conversations are all about. Mm-hmm. I love it. Any other key phrases? It's a framework, if you will, right. rather than a phrase, but I really love it as well. And again, it starts with empathy. But before you go in that room and you ask for something, as you're doing preparation, think about your audience. It could be an audience of one or a a team. Think about their GPS, okay, which stands for their goals, passions, and struggles. Mm -hmm. And if you can integrate, even if only in a small way, something about how this new role you're proposing will further the goals of your manager or this team or division. 
or how it's going to push us and advance us further towards a passion. That's the P, a really deeply held interest, a meaningful interest or passion that people care about. Not a problem. How is it going to alleviate a struggle? And that's the S. You know, how is what you're asking for going to somehow make a pain point less burdensome? This is actually how one woman I interviewed got more responsibility, right? Her boss would complain to her in kind of a good-natured way about uh, some of the projections he had to come up with for executives. And she said, hey, look, I know this is a burden on your time, and yet it's also a goal you're on the hook for. What if I assume these projections, right? Think about how yesable she made her request when she framed it that way. So I think GPS, goals, passions, struggles, can be just an awesome lens to look through before you present information, ask for something, make a bold new proposal. Okay. And as you're being persistent and advocating, how do you know when it's time to stop? (laughs) That's a funny one uh, because, you know, it can be so individual. But honestly, from some of the executives I interviewed, there was a magic number that kind of emerged of three. Hmm. All right. We like magic numbers. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. If I try it three different ways and I have asked for feedback, I have really tried to make the value of this idea shine through and I'm still getting a stone wall, it's time for me to either get on board or shift focus. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think there's something to be said, especially in corporate environments, might be different if you're an entrepreneur, but particularly for professionals, I think that's a good compass. I appreciate that because I'm sure there's some variability and yet it's comforting <laughs> to have a clear, <laughs> a clear figure. And that sounds about right to me on both sides in terms of if I'm going at it a four or five, six times, or I'm hearing it a fourth, fifth, sixth time, I mean, it's like, okay. Uh, this this is just annoying now. <laughs> right. That's right. Like you have to learn to move on. I, I feel like you're not even listening to me. So right. I don't know what else to say to, about this matter. Thank you. Well, well, tell us then anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Yeah, I think there's a really important one to mention, which is when you do tap your network, and I think it's really important that you do you know, as part of your preparation to get smart and to do your research, particularly around compensation. This is some unadvice. We all love some don't do's, right? And and the unadvice is don't just talk to your friends. There's some really interesting research done on physicians, and it showed women are more likely to talk to their friends when asking for compensation data or trying to get a ballpark or a benchmark of where they belong. Men are more likely to seek people out as reference points who are very much related to the role. So while women are more swayed by rapport, men are going after people who closely align with the role. And I think it's so important, even though it can be awkward and uncomfortable to have money conversations, to really consult that broader network of individuals, not just people who look like you or are like you in some ways. We already know you get some of the best opportunities from those weaker ties in your network, right? Not your inner tight little circle. And so I can't urge people enough. I made this mistake myself as a young management consultant at a big firm. 
I psyched myself up to go ask for a raise and a promotion. And I consulted two people a little further along at my firm than me. Mm -hmm. And I was really proud of myself for doing that, right? Because it was scary, but they were my two best girlfriends, you know? And it's like, who else should I have talked to? (laughs) Men, Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe even some people outside the firm. And so I hope people will learn from that mistake to think broadly. You want accurate, good data. Take those calls from recruiters. That can also round out the picture of where you should be money-wise. Just by taking those calls and hearing, well, here's where I'd place you can be really helpful. Yeah, that certainly is handy as they, they're talking to a lot of a lot of employers and a lot of employees. So they've they've got their finger on the pulse there. I'm just sort of putting myself in the situation where I'm reaching out to somebody I don't know that well, and I want bitch bark information about their compensation. How on earth does one articulate that request? Hey, Selena, how much money you make? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) right, right. Slipped in between two other questions, right? (laughs) No, I think being upfront and honest works for people and giving them an out is really powerful. Hey, Pete, I'm excited to be looking at new roles. And I wondered if you'd be open to talking to me about compensation and your experience with X. Mm -hmm. If you can't for any reason, that's totally okay. Yeah. And just allowing people that. So it's just extra not awkward to say, you know, I can't, or I'm too busy, or I'm, I'm happy to. And one other tip with that to make it a little less awkward is If you can bring like a give, maybe it feels like you're asking in this case, but is there something helpful that's related to the conversation? Maybe there's a salary study in your Mm -hmm. industry and you've just equipped yourself with that. Offer to give it to them or, or share a helpful resource. Yeah. That is handy. I'm thinking about giving first. It's like, you know, hey, I've collected a few data points and, you know, I don't know if they're perfectly applicable. I see X, Y, Z, A, B, C. And then they might feel more comfortable commenting on those like, oh, those seem a little low to me. Or if you're talking about compensation, they might not tell you directly their package. But, you know, hey, when I was interviewing for different director roles, I tend to be offered between X and Y. But ultimately, I prioritized this other benefit or piece of the package. And so I was willing to, to settle for a little bit less provided that they dealt with that. So that way they haven't told you precisely $268,000, Selena, is my total yes, all-in compensation. Right. But rather, oh, okay, somewhere in this ballpark and it's not as personal and that's handy. Thank you. I love that. I love your suggestion. And uh, some people don't even ask the outright question. I've heard some people say things like, how did you, how did you go about negotiating the budget for your lab? Oh, right. Well, that's a very different question. Like, how did you approach it? And, Mm -hmm. And so that's also another slightly different angle. All right. Well, now can we hear a favorite quote? So that you find inspiring. There's a great quote I love, and it makes me like tingle every time I read it or see it. And it's happiness is going from failure to failure without losing your enthusiasm. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? So one of my favorite studies is the white lab coat study out of Northwestern. And it says so much about mindset. And what essentially happened was people we're asked to wear white lab coats, something that we generally associate with care and attentiveness, right? In doctors and scientists. 
And what was fascinating is people who were not scientists or doctors when they wore these white lab coats tended to exhibit more of those traits, Mm. those qualities. And to me, that is fascinating and applies to all kinds of ways that we carry ourselves into important conversations. And this idea that we can ascribe meaning to the way we present, whether it's our clothing or something else, and we can use it to our advantage. Absolutely. You know, we've had guests talk about psychological Halloweenism and enclothed cognition are some of the uh-huh. phrases associated with this. And I love it. Sometimes I, I deliberately put on my blazer before a podcast interview just so that uh, you, I'm a little bit more professional and attentive to you know the matter at hand as opposed to just chit-chatting about whatever. Yes, yes. For you, <laughs> it's a blazer. For me, it's color. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about just really bright colors that makes me feel bolder, more optimistic than something else. So I love that it's different for you and me Mm -hmm. and probably for people listening too. I will occasionally take out my high school homecoming king crown when I need a boost (laughs) or I feel sad. I love that. People still like me. That's right. I (laughs) I have a crown to prove it. (laughs) I love it. You should do your whole podcast in that. It's getting so beat up because it's so old now. Then tell us, is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They highlight it in the book or they quote it back to you often or retweet it? It's this idea that don't give the other person all the power. I tell people, if you put someone up on a pedestal, don't be surprised if they start to look down on you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we're negotiating with an authority figure, you know, we put ourselves way down here and we put them up here. And I caution against that. If anything, approach it peer to peer. Like it's you and I versus the problem in front of us. Yeah, You and I simply having a conversation that's going to end in agreement, but not the hierarchy. You don't need Mm -hmm. to bring that in. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Come see me at selinaresvani.com. You'll see a contact form there and on all your socials. I love sharing career advice. So you'll find me on TikTok and Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I would say don't wait for the conditions to be perfect. They rarely are. So whether you're trying to negotiate a better return to office setup or taking your vacation and totally unplugging and not getting calls from the office or asking for a job title that actually reflects your job duties, now is a great time to ask for that. Don't think to yourself, oh, because it's a time of change or flux, I better not. No, Actually, times of change are some of the most lush, productive moments to ask for what you need because things aren't written in stone. Mm -hmm. So be emboldened to make those changes right now, even if things are a little bit up in the air in your company. It really relies on you being your own vocal champion. All right. Selena, thank you. This has been a treat. I wish you much luck in all the ways you push back. Thank you, Pete. You are awesome. And thanks for all that you're doing to help people really thrive at work. I like so much of what Selena had to say. And the thing I think is going to stick with me most are the notion of the vague nose 
and how just to not to accept them and to dig deeper and get really clear on some objective criteria. Indeed, what is the sticking point here to zero in on and see what we can actually do something about? As well as that notion of listening in terms of turning your whole body toward people. And I'm noticing that often people get maybe a neck from me, but to turn the neck and the shoulders and the hips and the knees and the feet, (laughs) each of these components could be pointing a little bit elsewhere and it doesn't send as much of the optimal listening message I am looking to send. This also reminded me of our conversation with Neen James back in episode 282, How to Manage Your Attention and Your Priorities, in which he said that a five-year-old friend of hers told her, Neen, listen with your eyes. Good wisdom. Listen with your eyes and your neck and your shoulders and your hips and your knees and your toes. Everything. Turn the whole body. Good stuff from Selena. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items that we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP776. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.